now you 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 left um, Mythic in in 2009, and now you founded City State Entertainment. This last you you know you've got um, March on Oz uh, currently currently available for iOS, correct? Uh, that's correct. And is that going to be coming to Android? Yes, we actually have it on Android already. Here we we built it on Unity, so we've been running it. You know, frankly, on Android, on Ouya, uh, and on the PC as well. But we're not ready. There were some issues with the latest build of Unity um, with loading times, and we think we're around. You know, we think we're past that now. So hopefully, Android will be coming out 30 days. Yay! See after that. Yeah, I was gonna say that's great. I know that Roxanne and I are both Android users. Yeah. Um, I yeah, need, tablets or, uh, yeah, I need things to do with my tablet. I've got a Asus uh, EPad Transformer Prime, and I love it. Awesome. Yeah, it'll play really well on that. Um, and then, you know, the the big release, you guys announced that you'll be doing a Kickstarter starting in March for Camelot Unchained. Um, my first question to you, to you on Camelot Unchained, I know that, you know, all of the, the mythology is, is public domain and you know, pretty much free to anybody, but are you worried at all about, you know, reprisal or cease and desist letters? I mean, given that it's a three-faction... Yeah, from yeah, given that it's a three-faction realm versus realm game focusing on, you know, Camelot? Well, first of all, um, you got to understand the difference, I'm sure you do, between trademarks and copyrights. Yes. Uh, so we'll start with the obvious one, which is copyright. Uh, I mean, a trademark. Uh, Camelot Unchained is a working title. It's a bit of a joke. Um, that's not the name of the game. Um, if you look at the trailer, there's an island uh, that most people have missed that doesn't belong where it is. And so it was really kind of a, a, an inside joke that there goes Camelot floating away because it's been unchained. Um, plus, there's the, the initials. See ya! Um, so <laughs> I love that. <laughs> So that isn't the title. Um, so from a trademark perspective, we're not worried about it, of course, at all. Um, from a copyright perspective, well, a couple things. First of all, three-realm combat um, is not protectable as a copyright. It would have to be a patent. If you patented the idea 30 years ago, maybe there would have been something to worry about. Um, so, you know, the idea of a tri-realm game, um, you know, is pretty darn safe. Um then when you look at the copyright implications of, like, the literature, um, well, a couple things. You're absolutely right that this is all in the public domain. So, you know, I'm free to make whatever game I want as long as it doesn't too closely resemble or copy Camelot's original material, right? Just like Oz. You know, I'm free to use Oz. Disney's free to use Oz. You know, Warner's free to use Oz as long as you don't use anything that they created. So, you know, in the case of of you know, Moo, the gnomes are all out of our heads. You know, those are our creation. There's nothing in Oz uh, like those guys. Um, use, they use the word gnome, but there are gnomes and gnomes. Oz are northern Oz mechanically, you know, enslaved uh, servitors. Um, so, you know, I'm not terribly worried about that aspect. Now, if you went a little, dug a little deeper, um, into like the differences in the games. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm starting our game with an apocalypse. You know, it's not Camelot, not the Camelot that people 
suddenly, no, it's not Dark Age of Camelot. It's not, hey, look, there's this, and there's that, and there's that. It's not that. It's all gone. It went boom. You know, magic flowed into the world. Things blew up. So any similarities between the core IP usage won't exist. So that moves it even further away. And so, you know, am I worried about EA suing us over this? No, not at all. I mean, if I was trying to make a Camelot 2, then I would worry because that would be wrong of me uh, to just go, I'm just going to clone Camelot. I'm not. And I've, and if you guys have been, you know, obviously, you know, reading what I've been posting, other than the fact that I am using, you know, Arthurians and Vikings um, and the uh, Tuatha de Danann, and that's about it in terms of the similarities so far. And, you know, the idea that EA would try to stop me or anyone else from using public domain IP in a very different way that they do than they than they do with Dark Age doesn't make any sense. You know, uh, it would be a very expensive fight, and it would be one that you know I know those guys wouldn't do unless I did something really stupid. You know, like again, try to make Camelot too, and then they would sue me, and they should sue me if that's what I was trying to do. Uh, but I'm not. You know, it, these are not the same games. And you guys have heard me say many times on the, on blogs or, you know, in interviews that I'm not even trying to go to the Camelot people and say that I'm a spiritual successor. Because if you've looked at what spir- spiritual successors, you know, means generally or even legally, I could even do that if I wanted to. Lots of good people do that. You know, guys who, you know, lose rights to their IP talk about, oh, now I'm going to do a spiritual successor because it's okay. You can you can do that. So I'm not even doing that. So, no, I, I think the chances of EA suing us uh, because we're going to do a try round game, especially since they just sued Zynga for copying the game. Exactly. Um, are pretty remote. You know, they have much better things to worry about, um, you know, than whether a developer who's doing everything he can to distance and distance himself from their core game. Because Camelot is theirs now. Uh, from their core game, um, you know, is, is worthy of being sued by them. So, look, you can never say never. You know, certainly they could decide if they wanted to, uh, to mess with us. But EA doesn't do that. You know, if you look at the number of lawsuits that they filed over the years, you generally have to rain on their parade, you know, with something, you know, substantial. Like one of their trademarks. Um, or in the case of Zinger, something that was ridiculously close. Yeah, that was practically outright theft. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I can't, I honestly can't imagine, uh, that they would think, oh, you know, we're going to stop Mark. Because the other thing to keep in mind, they were in a lawsuit with Activision, as you know, for, uh, the Infinity Ward respawn stuff. And, you know, as teams move back and forth between studios and companies do games, you know, that may be based on what they did in another company. Do you really want to fire that kind of shot, especially at a developer who's really distancing himself from the use of public domain IP as opposed to, hey, we created this wonderful, you know, world that's, you know, all out of our head and I was going to use it and change some of the names around. So, again, 
anything certainly is possible, but speaking as a, as a lawyer and speaking as somebody who's spoken to lawyers and, you know, the odds of that happening, so remote. And it would be so unlike them. You know, maybe if I was the kind of developer who's going around bad-mouthing them all the time and saying how much they sucked or, you know, stuff like that, you know, maybe out of spite. Who knows? Though from what, again, I, you know, obviously know EA and most of its personnel pretty well and John Riccatello and, and Frank Chabot, obviously, having worked with them. And that's not really their style to do something like that just, you know, without reason. Again, look at EA's, you know, uh, history. Not the most litigious company, you know, in the world. And, you know, when you're trying as well to establish yourself as a company that's, as they said in their own words, at Zinger, trying to, in the Zinger suit, you know, protecting, you know, other companies' rights to use IP without being copied. It would be pretty strange, you know, to then go after a developer who's, you know, small guy just trying to, you know, create a new game again for using public domain IP. I uh I pulled up your trailer here and there is a big island to the uh-huh. west of Ireland that shouldn't be there. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of you know, part of it was a joke. You know, and almost nobody got it. And they didn't notice that it was there. Yeah, there's a there's a massive island to the west of Ireland that's not supposed yeah. to be there. Um floating away. My so, my other like big question about you know the the start of this, you know obviously you've mentioned in some of your blog posts that you're not targeting a a giant subscription base or anything like that. Is that what is that the reason you're going with Kickstarter instead of trying to to sell it to a publisher? Oh, absolutely. Um, so you look at the state of the MMO industry, and one of the things that I'm kind of good at is making predictions. Now I'm not right every time. But, you know, you could find even an interview with Matt Firer before, you know, sorry, not before, when he left Mythic, talking about, you know, me and what I know about MMOs and the fact that, yeah, I'm generally right about these things. And I look at the current state and go, boy, would I want to be spending the next four to five years of my life trying to create another AAA MMO? The answer is no. I, I, you know, I've never done that. First of all, Camelot was 18 months and Warhammer was, you know, just a shade over three years. So I have no interest in making a five year old, you know, a five year development cycle. That was one of the things that attracted me and still does about, you know, the mobile and tablet market that I don't have to spend that much time. First of all, I've been doing this for so long, spending another five years. No, just no, sorry, not doing (laughs) one game. And, you know, the second issue is, well, if I'm not going to be willing to sacrifice that much time, because I think that's the kind of time you need if you want to make the kind of big games that the publishers are looking for. You know, you've seen, of course, over the last couple of years, uh, all publishers, EA, Activision, you know, Take-Two as well, and even THQ before it folded, saying that, yeah, you know, we're going to make fewer but bigger titles. And for an MMO which is even riskier, you know, because you guys know the failure rate of these things. It's ridiculous. They would, I think, and everything I know tells me that they, and from my conversations with some people, that that's still, if they were going to do one, that's what they would do. And I don't like that path. I just don't. 
I'm not even sure how to make money off it at this point. You know, when you look at what's going on in the industry and you look at how many free-to-play games there are or buy-to-play games, you know, what we're doing, unfortunately, as an industry, is killing the golden goose. By putting out so many games, especially as free or buy-to-play, not that I have anything against Guild Wars. I don't. I actually, that's one of the reasons I'm doing an MMO, because I played Guild Wars or Guild Wars 2. But by putting out all these free games and raising the expectations of players that, hey, we can spend all this big money on these free games, then two things are going to happen. One, players are going to go and play free games. And then when they get bored uh, or don't want to spend any money, well, they'll move on to the next high-budget free game. And that's not good, because if you have far too few people paying, uh, then you either need bigger and better whales or you're in deep trouble. And everything I've seen, uh, which, you know, has to do with the conversion rate uh, or the, you know, what's called the ARPU, the average revenue per user on both the free-to-play non-MMOs and, and some of the MMOs indicates a declining interest or a declining, you know, uh, amount of ARPU. And if that happens, then what do you have? Well, you've got a lot of very expensive free games that a very small percentage of people will pay for. And that obviously is not a good thing. If you're spending more money to make a game, host a game, run a game, than you're bringing in, you're in trouble right away. And then if you can't repay your investment, you're really in deep trouble. The second problem, I think, in the, in the MMO space is the lack of innovation. You know, what do you do, you know, with PVE to make it interesting? You know, you have games that have done a fabulous job with it. And some games that obviously haven't done a great job. And players, especially people like on this call, who have played a lot of MMOs, are getting tired of the same game. Or even if you have different skins on the characters, and even if you have different backstory, if all you're still doing is running to some guy with a question mark over his head to be told to go over there and kill X amount of these creatures until one of them actually has a leg drop off him, you're going to get kind of bored of that. Yeah, you'll and get no argument from me there. Oh, God, yes. And so I think you have two very bad trends for those kind of games. And I, and I, I shouldn't say I've played all of them, but, God, I've played so many of them. And I'm bored. You know, I'm like, oh, really? Do I have to do this same quest that I've now done in five games? You know, and again, prettier pictures, you know, better gameplay to a certain degree, but it's still the same game. And, you know, before I made this decision to, to do this Kickstarter, I spent a fair amount of time, many, many months here in the studio and as well reading all the forums, lurking on the forums to try to get, you know, more feedback, playing in games and getting feedback from people and everything I know about MMOs. All the years I've been making online games tells me that that's the trend right now. People are looking for something different. So that brings us to, you know, Camelot. And I look at this kind of game, a smaller game, a game that's willing to take some chances, uh, a game that isn't going to be bound necessarily to any convention, whatever it is, as a game that some of our players out there, and I mean our by MMO players, are going to be looking for. You know, you look at the influence of Minecraft and the whole concept of sandbox, you know, on MMOs. 
And I think that that's the next trend, that smaller games from either independent studios or publishers who, you know, might be willing to take a chance on a smaller game. I think that's where we need to go. There are some interesting games coming out. Certainly Elder Scrolls is, you know, going to be extremely expensive. Uh, they have a very big team. They've been working on it for a long time. You know, a lot of really talented people there. And the Bethesda guys are great. I mean, I know those guys really well over the years. And nothing but, you know, tremendous respect for them. You know, the way they've turned, you know, Bethesda around, you know, under the leadership of, you know, Todd Howard and, and Blotko and obviously uh, Robert Altman on the Zenimax business side is, is nothing short of amazing. I mean, you know, they were in deep trouble at one time and, you know, their turnaround has just been incredible. So, you know, if anyone out there right now has the pedigree, you know, on the Western side, you know, to make a really great game, big budget game, you know, you would look at that combination of very experienced developers on Zoss side, you know, a lot of them obviously from, you know, Mythic. And then the, you know, more business savvy uh, guys, as well as, you know, some of the great, you know, talent over at Bethesda, you know, who can lend a hand and lend an eye. Uh, so, you know, that, you know, I think is going to be a, a heck of a bellwether uh, for the industry. You know, and then you've got guys like Jake, you know, working on, um, you know, Arc Age, uh, which looks really interesting. Uh, and certainly I know he's spent a ton of time, you know, and money on it as well. And, and it looks like a really beautiful, really interesting game. I can't wait to, you know, see it here. But will pay, will people pay for it? And that's the real question. And how long will they pay for it? Because, you know, it all comes down at the end of the day to ROI. Uh, and I hate sounding like the business guy, you know, because I'd much rather not be the business guy. I like being, you know, the creative guy. But the business guy has to look at, all right, if we're going to spend X, and especially if we're going to spend X over the course of five years or six years, you know, can we get enough of a return not only to justify that expense, but also, you know, uh, the opportunity cost of spending so much time. And, you know, from my standpoint, I don't want to do that. A game that's smaller, you know, like CU, uh, a game that can take chances, a game that's a lot less expensive. Well, you know, it doesn't need to get the kind of numbers that something like uh, Elder Scrolls does uh, or Swotor obviously had to. And so that's what I'm, you know, intrigued with. I'm much better, you know, in a shorter, you know, term development cycle. Uh, than I am in something that would take five years. Frankly, I don't, I don't think I'd have the patience for it. You know, trying to be honest. Uh, spending five, six years on a game would just be quite frustrating. Now, I've been following your, your blog on the CU page. Um, and, you know, I wanted to ask you a question because, you know, CU is, I mean, you've listed, you know, three things. You want it to be social, you want it to be, uh, you want crafting to be a very important part of the game, and it's all RVR, um, Realm versus Realm. Um, I want to ask you about something, and I'll have to bleep myself when I go through and edit this tomorrow. But um, are you familiar with the greater internet fuckwad theory? <laughs> that a normal person plus anonymity plus an audience equals a total fuckwad. Um, because in my experience, 
when a game is centered around PvP or RVR, that's the thing that keeps people away. Exactly. It's, it's the thought of being humiliated by some yep. jerk who might not actually be better than you in any way, but he's going to be the one on chat blaming you for everything that's gone wrong tonight. Absolutely. Which is why, which is absolutely why I've said this is going to be a smaller game, and why you know uh, publishers wouldn't be as interested. I mean, I've been down this path my entire life. You know, if again you go back to my muds, they were PvP. You know, you go back to most of the games that Mythic made, they were PvP. You know, so if there's anyone in this industry who, you know, understands the ramifications better than I do of RVR and PVP, uh, I'd like you to point them out to me. Well, I like the, 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 the smaller subscriber numbers because I remember back in the EverQuest days and the Dark Age of Camelot days, when you went to your Realm forum, you knew who the people there were. It wasn't, I mean... Warcraft has like 250 North American servers. There's no such thing as a realm forum for Warcraft. Um, and it's just, it's, it's hard these days in a lot of games to get into PvP because there are just so many jerks out there who have no consequences levied against them for being jerks. Um, you know, just completely out of the blue. So, you know, like you said, the, the smaller subscriber numbers should one help with that because, uh, fewer people, fewer jerks, obviously. Um, yeah, I have a problem with that logic. <laughs> well, well no, here's the thing. So, same. You know, here's, and, and this is such an important distinction. Um, and you know it because you guys know these games. But a lot of people, casual, you know, MMOs, look at RVR and they think it's PvP. But it's not. Yes, you fight other players. But PvP is truly the ability to fight generally anybody. Now, of course, you have games with factions and you go, well, it's not really that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, the biggest advantage of a game like Camelot, same with Elder Scrolls, same, you know, with Dark Age, is the fact that your realm and faction are your friends. And this was the thing I had to sell to my studio and then to various and sundry other people as we begged for a production deal uh, or I'm sorry, for a distribution deal um, that. When you play a game that is standard PvP, players get really, really scared, except PvPers, because they see the game as wolves versus sheep, and nobody wants to be the sheep. On the other hand, in a realm versus realm game, what I said to the guys at Mythic and then on the boards, and I got mocked incessantly for it back in the day, was that I want everyone on your realm to be your friend to know that they can't hurt you, and more importantly, to know that one day they might need you. So maybe they shouldn't act like a jerk, or maybe they should help you a little bit more. And is it perfect? Of course not. But that's the big difference, guys, that an RVR game can generate that kind of good feeling among a realm much more easily than in a PvP game. Because whether it was Shadowbane or any of the PvP games, Darkfall, you know, that guy who may be being nice to you right now, he may be nice to you because he's fattening you up so he can kill you. Because you can't kill the noob, so you, you know, go, oh, I'll help you level. Hey, look, I'm level 10. Stabby, stabby, stabby. You know, and you can't do that in an RVR game. There's no way to. And no, and even more importantly, that no way to. 
There's no advantage to it. And that's where, you know, people and, and whether it's PVP or anything else breaks down a little bit. When there's an advantage to doing something, you know, that's bad. And in an RVR game like, you know, Dark Age, there is no advantage. You can't loot the corpse. You can't up your skills. You can't, you know, there's, no, there's nothing other than maybe psychic pleasure. And, yeah, there are guys who, you know, do get that from watching you die and then chuckling at you. Um, because it's a realm-based game, they know that that might come back to bite them in the butt. Unless they're really griefers and that the, then it doesn't matter. You know, but one of the reasons we're doing this game, and, again, saying that it's, you know, going to be a more niche game, is because, if not everybody, the majority of people that are going to either back the Kickstarter or play this game are doing it for one and only one reason. They want to play an RVR game and they want to play for a realm or maybe even multiple realms. So, you know, there'll still be the griefers and there'll still be, you know, the word that would be bleeped out, but they won't be the majority. They will be the minority. And I'm hoping a very small minority, but we'll see. This all sounds so exciting. I'm just getting excited thinking about it. Um, but I did have a question for you. Um, you know, you had talked about the Kickstarter. And my question to you is, um, you know, with the gaming commu- trying to get the gaming community behind the game as backers, how will that affect the game? Such as, are you will you listen to your backers? And if if they want changes in a direction that doesn't coincide with your vision of the game, I mean, how will you handle that? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) So here's how it goes, Roxanne. So if you work with a publisher, the publisher has the right. It's their money, right? One guy, one girl, whoever's running the company to say, well, we want you to make this change. We have all this data that shows blah, blah, blah. And if you do this, you can sell another 50,000 boxes, blah, blah, blah. So we want you to make this change. Okay, it's the publisher's money. They have every right to say that. You know, uh, us as the developers, uh, we, we can say no, but it's still their money. The gamers are different. The gamers are coming into this knowing exactly what kind of game I want to make. And that's one of the reasons I am spending so much time writing these blogs and you know, talking on the boards and doing interviews because I want everyone who does end up backing our game. And I hope everyone who hears, you know, this interview will back our game, but only do so if you like the vision. And that's so important to me. You know, I have never intentionally misled a fan about everything, about anything or everything. You know, sometimes things change. Sometimes, hey, you know, I've been told it's going to take six weeks and it turns out taking six months. But I've never misled anyone knowingly, and I never will. Um, you know, that's another thing the EA's credit. They never asked me to lie about anything, you know, and again, another thing I respected. Um, and for our backers, if you've done your homework, if you've read my guiding principles, if you've read the Kickstarter, you know what kind of game we're making. And that's the kind of game we're making. So anyone who comes in thinking, oh, don't worry, we can talk Mark into making a PvE game, not going to happen. We will stick to the guiding principles. That's the promise I'm making to uh, our backers. Now, once the game goes into development, we'll have forums. And can people bring up new ideas? Oh, my God, absolutely. Can't wait to hear them. I mean, truly, 
you know, if you guys have, you know, you've done your research on me and you know how <laughs> shy and, you know, retiring I am and how much I hate to talk or post on forums, right? Yeah, I've, I've been, you know, I've been noticing that as we've been, as yeah, we've been it's very talking. Hard. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you'll find one or two over the, you know, last few seconds. Um, and it'll be the same way if the Kickstarter funds. So I want to get feedback from people. I'm begging people for feedback. You know, look, I'm a smart guy. Am I the smartest guy in the world? No, of course not. I'm not even the smartest guy in the room sometimes when I'm in by the room by myself, all right? But I'm not an idiot. And I think that when you create one of these games, no matter how smart you think you are, there's a lot smarter people out there. And the smart guys, really smart guys, listen. And I think I've done that at times very well over the course of my career. It's when I don't get the opportunity to do that, because let's say I'm busy doing other things, that's when bad stuff usually happens. And, you know, whether it's bad stuff that somebody else thought was a great idea that I have to take the heat for, or is it because I thought it was a good idea and I hadn't done enough research or thought about it, doesn't really matter. Just some bad things happen. And this time, just like in early Camelot, and, you know, if you went back and, you know, found, even if they're still around, all the old posts I used to do, and, you know, even an early stage Warhammer talking to the players, you know, when I had the time to do that. Good things came from that. So, you know, we're going to listen. We won't always agree, uh, but we will listen to our players. And I can pretty much guarantee that there'll be things not from the principles, but things that will be new and different, not only from my, from me and my team, but from people out there suggesting them. Because, like I said, there's a lot of smart people out there, and the smartest guys usually listen as well. And I like, again, to think that I'm smart enough to listen. And and I want to just you know, quickly mention uh, two of your, your founding principles specifically. Uh, the first being uh, choice matters. Um, in so many MMOs now, the race you pick has no bearing on anything. Uh, the gender your character is has no bearing on anything. It doesn't change the classes they can be. It doesn't change their starting stats. It doesn't change what perks they can have. It is completely cosmetic. And, you know, I like your founding principle number four, uh, Choice Matters, that all of those things mean something in, in CU, which is something that hasn't happened in MMOs in quite a while. Um, that's a single-player RPG thing, and even, you know, over this last decade, single-player RPGs have been getting further and farther away from that. For those of us that like to truly create our character right down to the, the nuts and bolts. Um, and the other one I wanted to mention was founding principle number six, uh, which is rock, paper, scissors. Um, that's If there was one thing from Dark Age of Camelot I could transfer into every other game that's been made since, it would have been that. Um, the fact that Horde and Alliance and Warcraft are the exact same thing, one's blue, one's red, and they go at each other, is boring. The fact that in Star Wars, you know, the, the, the Republic and the Sith are, their classes are named differently, but they don't really play that much differently. Um, the fact that in Dark Age you could go from Hibernia to Midgard and the class you picked, even if you picked the same, you know, melee tank type class, played completely differently. And, you know, that's, you know, your founding principle number six for, for CU. That's, 
for me, that's just a huge one that you have that replayability, not just down to, you know, what you're looking at on the screen graphically, but mechanically, your characters are going to end up being different. And that's just, ugh, I can't believe that that's not in the big triple A's anymore. Well, thank you. And thank you for answering my question. Um, you know, I, uh, that's just something that struck me about the Kickstarter, you know, because it just seems like some people in the gaming community would, um, you know, think they owned you. You know what I mean? Well, so owning, obviously not. Um, <laughs> do, you know, I owe them something, though, you know, and the answer is yes. I owe them not only the best job that I can do, you know, as a developer, but I also owe them, you know, the same thing I've owed, frankly, anyone who plays my games. And I've always said this, you know, uh, publicly, I owe them honesty. And to tell them that we're going to make a game that's RVR focused and is a PVE, I think I've used this line already, a PVE, you know, in sheep's clothing, um, that would be wrong. And, you know, I won't do it. And, you know, because there have been people who say, oh, no, he's really going to do this. And I'm like, no, that would be bad. I mean, it would destroy my reputation. And, you know, whether people like Warhammer or didn't like Warhammer or love Camelot, didn't love Camelot, you know, I do care about my rep. Um, I've worked very hard for it. And, you know, everyone makes mistakes and no one is perfect. Um, but I've never done anything deceitfully. And that's why it is incredibly important to me to put out these principles, to talk as much as I, I, I've done, because by doing so, I hope not only to give people assurance that this is the game that we're trying to make, but also, frankly, uh, and lawyers everywhere will hate this one. Um, but doing so, I kind of open myself up if I don't make the, that game, right? You know, if you put a Kickstarter for, hey, just give me a million dollars and I'm going to make the best RPG ever. Well, you know, that's kind of wishy-washy. That's kind of amorphous. What's best mean? So when you come out with a not best game, nobody can really do anything. You know, other because you came out with the game. So Kickstarter's obligations are fulfilled. But by saying everything that I'm saying and putting them into these foundational principles, which will be part of our Kickstarter, I'm saying to people, yeah, not only, am I, not only am I putting my money on the line, as I've said, but this is stuff that I'm promising you guys that is going to go in the game. And, you know, if I decide to go in and not make this kind of game, not only are you going to be really angry at me, but these guys can then go after me because I'm saying this is going to be in the game. And, you know, maybe not the smartest thing I've ever done in the world, uh, but I don't care. Because I intend to make this game, and I intend to make it the way I've, I'm telling people. And, you know, I've never been risk-adverse. I mean, look, I quit law school, or, or quit being a lawyer, um, to make my game. I turned down a wonderful opportunity with an agency we won't mention to also do that same game. And then I risked it all for Camelot. You know, if Camelot had failed... Uh, I would have been back to the paper hat and the name tag asking people, hey, do you want fries with that? You know, while I try to convince somebody that hasn't practiced law like ever or, you know, after embarking on this 10 plus year odyssey to make games is useful, you know, in anything other than making games. And so I did. I took that risk with EA. I took risks. 
you know, when I walked away from offers or from other people. And at the time, I wasn't like, oh, my God, look how much money I have. I can walk away from this. I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. And it's the same here. You know, I don't need to make this game, you know, to pay the bills. I don't need to make this game at all. I could have retired, you know, quite happily after EA. I love making games. I really do. And I love, you know, making games that are MMOs and for players. And, you know, this is a great opportunity, I hope, you know, to make another one. And that's really deeply ingrained in me, far more ingrained than certain people would have liked. Um, and so these guys and gals who back us, they'll have everything I've got. I mean, you know, uh, I already live in the office. Uh, it's, you know, what I've always done. Um, as anyone who is at Mythic, especially during the Warhammer days and at times during the uh, M&A days. You know, they, I'm on a first-name basis with the ER, you know, at a couple of hospitals. I take this stuff really seriously, and I really care. And when people give me their money, whether it's $10, $50, whatever, I kind of treat that as a serious obligation, just as I did at EA. And Lord knows, EA had a lot of money. So... You know, I didn't waste it then, and I'm not going to waste it now. And wasting it would be, more than anything else, telling our backers that we're going to make a certain game and letting even them talk us out of making that game once we made that promise. That is not keeping my obligation to them. That is not being honest, and it's not doing my job. It is my job to make that game, the game that I have promised them, and not, you know, start changing or backing away or going, wow, you know, if I just add this, I can bring in some more people. Not going to do it. All right. I can't imagine uh, a better stopping point than that testimonial right there. Um, I do have one last question. Do you know when the, the Kickstarter will launch? March. Just March? Yeah, sometime this March. The reason I don't know is because, frankly, getting these last few levels you know, for move while I've been doing everything else, taking just a wee bit longer than I would have liked. And, you know, uh, since I have to do a lot of the stuff for the Kickstarter, the legal and, you know, laying out things as well, I haven't had the time that I've needed. I mean, I've, I'm now on day, what, 17 uh, in a row in the office, you know, no break. Um, so, you know, I, people have to be a little bit more patient. At least let me get one day on the weekend off, um, you know, before I get back to, uh, you know, working on our, uh, you know, all the supporting material uh, that I need to work on for the Kickstarter. Okay. Well, you, know, you know, Mark, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, you said you, you love doing what you do. And, you know, speaking for the gaming community and for our guild, we love that you love doing what you do. Oh, we really thank you do. So much. And we appreciate it, yeah. It's funny because, you know, over the years, a lot of people have this impression going back and forth on me. You know, uh, I think uh, one writer in that same interview with Matt said I was a, a polarizing figure. And I think that's very, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, it's very true. You know, I, I do kind of wear my emotions on the sleeve. You know, EA said that about me more than once. Um, and I care. I mean, I really care about what I do. And, you know, sometimes, especially 
you know, in the early days of Camelot and even a little bit with Warhammer. Um, you know, I come off as very, oh, I don't know. How about strident? Um, but it's only because it's part of my job and the part that I love, part of the part that I love to protect my team, right? To protect my game. And, you know, it's come at a price, certainly. Well, again, my butt's sitting here instead of somewhere else. But that's okay, you know, uh, because I can wake up every day, look in the mirror and go, you know, or frankly not go, you're disgusting. You know, you've done something bad. Uh, I just, I won't do that. It's just not worth it to me, especially at this stage. And when you look at what I want to do for Camelot, you know, if I wanted to, you know, a shot again at the big money, right? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I'd be out with publishers and talking to them about, hey, you know, I know how to reinvent the PvE, you know, gameplay. I know how we can make a ton of money together. But that'd be nonsense. It'd be stuff and nonsense. And, you know, I want to make a game for gamers. And I think and I hope with Camelot Unchained, we can make a game that, you know, is something that I believe a large percentage of people in the industry, you know, MMO players, you know, want. Maybe a small niche compared to WoW and certainly a small niche compared to, you know, Call of Duty. But I think there's enough gamers out there who are looking for a great RVR experience who don't care about PvE. I think there's a lot of people who want to be full-time crafters and they haven't had a game where they really could be. And, you know, then there are people who want to do both. And that's what I want to do. I want to make a game for them because the beauty of that is that that's all I have to worry about. And I don't have to worry about, oh, gee, how am I going to balance it for this group? Or how am I going to balance it for that group? Or how am I going to, again, sell another 50,000 boxes? Or in some cases, a couple hundred thousand boxes. And that's what excites me. And it makes it fun, you know? I'm a designer. I like designing stuff. And I like designing stuff even more when I don't have to worry about its impact across, you know, the scope of a, of a you know, of a WoW. Or a scope even of a Warhammer. And to be able to, to deliver that to gamers, and frankly... <laughs> For me, too, because I'm going to play the darn game. Um, it's something that makes me smile. And, you know, as you guys have said, I've been making games for a long time. I don't know how many more I'm going to make. You know, will it be one? Will it be three? Maybe five? Who knows? But I know one thing for sure, that if I can make this game, if we're backed by Kickstarter, um, it's going to be a fun game that's going to take a lot of chances. And I am sure I'm going to piss people off. I already have, you know, uh, Bill's point about uh, races and genders and, you know, um, totally vanilla builds of characters versus what, you know, I've talked about has already pissed off people. And I've gotten feedback on, you know, the forums or some in email going, you know, oh, he'll change his mind. There'll be a big stomp on it, you know, and then he'll change his mind or other guys telling me that I'm an idiot, you know, for doing that or I'm somehow, you know, uh, a misogynist for doing it. You know, one email said, oh, what are you going to do? Have women cook and that's it. And I'm like, are you just stupid? You know, is that really, you know, the way um, or the only way you can think of taking races and genders and all that and making them more interesting? other than just having a clean slate and everyone's being equal? No, you're not a, mis a misogynist. You might be a, a masochist. Yeah, a masochist, maybe. 
Um, certainly. And it's crazy. You know, it's just absolutely crazy because people, you know, and I think this is goes back to your point of why RPGs or, you know, not a point, just an observation. Why RPGs, even single player games, you know, are getting, again, homogenized in that manner. That's because people are afraid to piss people off. You know, because some people will say, well, you know, this means you don't like women. Yeah, really. Tell me about it. Sure. You know, that's why one third of my studio, uh, frankly, are women. And, you know, an artist in every position uh, other than programs, unfortunately. And I love that. Yeah, it's. I really do. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's always something if you go back to old mythic, it was the same way. You know, I want a studio. And you might have seen my, you know, what I said on Forbes about I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of old white guys. And that is so true. (laughs) You know, I want a studio full of everybody, you know, different you know, whether it's genders or races or religions. I mean, you know, I don't like, I grew up in New York, for gosh sakes. Um, you know, I, I, I want different people around me. I want people to come at, you know, uh, problems with, you know, obviously either you know, a very different background or just a, you know, a different viewpoint. And it's the same thing and same theory with races and genders in our game. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, gee, he's going to put women in and they won't be able to lift a sword, but they'll only be able to do this. And that's like, come on. No. But I want to give people enough freedom that they can create slightly different characters or different characters if they so choose from what they might have created if they played this race or if they played this gender. Because I don't know that to me, that's part of role playing. And I know that's kind of. You know, not as, I don't know, I don't even know if it's politically correct to say that. Uh, that's not politically correct. But it's just so silly at the end of the day. These are games. These are not statements, uh, about, you know, what it is in the real world or, you know, that, uh, no, sorry, you know, only men can be warriors. Cause obviously I wouldn't do that. And, you know, this is the sort of game and the sort of gamers that I want to play our game. The guys who want to see differences, you know, between their characters, who don't want the mirrored class builds. There's nothing wrong with those games that do. I mean, you know, obviously we did that to an extent in Warhammer. And I have no problem with it. But that's not the game I want to make. You know, I want people to be able to say, wow, okay, so I can customize all this stuff right from the beginning. And I can create my tune slightly different than your tune to start off. And I can make some choices and do, you know, use the Bane and Boon system to try to establish right from the moment you're playing the game a feel for your character other than, oh, wow, I am the vanilla build of the mage. Because that's not really interesting. And it's been done before and before and again and will be again. So why should we bother? You know, if all we're going to do is just, hey, clone this or do that, it's a waste of my time and a waste of my money. You know, I want to take chances and I want to do something interesting with it. And, you know, I think players will be very surprised at some of the other ideas, you know, we have. And I am sure that hopefully tomorrow I'll get my crafting blog out and there'll be some people who will complain about that and say, oh, how can you do this? I can do it because that's the game I want to make. And I think there's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to like it. And I know with my interview, for example, on Massively, when I was talking about some of the crafting things, and feel free to ask me since I certainly just brought it up here, 
you know, they said in the interview how much they loved it and how excited they were because I'm trying to do something different. And well, if I have to sacrifice a couple of players who won't like us doing something different, then I'll do it because I think it will make a better game. The idea that you can't go kill a, a monster and get better gear than you can make yourself is very appealing to me. In in Dark Age, when I left that game, I actually had, for a, a hero in Hibernia, a Furbolg hero, I actually had a perfect set of armor and weapons. Um, there was, you know, a, a soft cap on, you know, diminishing returns for, you know, skill points and resists and all that. And I had, you know, the 100 quality crafted armor that was all enchanted to the absolute max. Um, I blew up several enchanters. Um, <laughs> Getting it, but you know, I had a statistically basically perfect set of armor, and I was so so proud of that. And no no game I've played since has even offered the opportunity to do that, um, because you know you're always waiting for a random drop or something like that. And it's just crafting has always felt since then very anticlimactic. And I understand that, and that's obviously one of the reasons I want to do what we want to do. Um, we want to make crafting important. You know, uh, this is not a gear grind. This is not, hey, you know, go out and raid this dungeon 50 times, and if you're lucky, you'll get the piece that will be dropped that you can use that won't be ninjured by somebody else before you get a chance to get it. Um, you know, we don't want to go down that. For me, that's a broken path. Um, you know, it worked in the past, obviously, quite successfully. Uh, but it's been a while, and it's time to try something different. Something maybe in some ways back to the old school or some combination. Um, you know, crafting to me uh, means that you have two things going on that I hope will be a very interesting dynamic for the game. One, of course, is the crafter. So he or she is sitting there and doing something that they enjoy. Because anyone who has played any game that has a crafting system, there's a lot of people who just want to craft. They really like crafting. They not so much on necessarily the PVE and certainly not so much on the RVR. So the system is being designed to take those people into account, which is rare, obviously, in MMOs, that you can have a pure crafting character. The second thing, of course, is the player, you know, the non-crafting player, the RVR. And certainly they're going to need the crafter. Well, that sets up a nice bit of dependency from each of them. So if your crafter guy isn't going out in the woods and killing things to get materials or isn't, you know, going out and mining and gathering and they're just crafting, then you're going to need the RVR player to go out and get them. And the RVR player is going to need the crafter to actually do something with them, you know, because the materials are going to be useless to him. And that is really good because you're going to bind your realm together more because you're going to need each other. And if you don't have an auction house, so you have to actually, I don't know, interact with the other people on your realm. And you can haggle with the, you know, with the crafters uh, instead of just, you know, throwing up a bunch of gear on the house and looking for, OK, I'm going to underbid that guy, even though you might not even know who that guy is. Um, that does nothing, you know, to build realm pride or crafter pride or server pride. All it does is, it, you know, it's like Walmart. Or Kmart, you know, you get it a bit cheaper, but you don't really know or, or care. Whereas if you do it, I hope the way we can do it, you will care more about each other because you will need them and they will need you. And by telling our crafters that we're not going to have a token system, 
you know, and to me, tokens, of course, it could be any currency that you use to buy and, you know, gear from the, from the game itself. By telling them that, they can be willing to spend the time to make their character special because they don't have to worry just like you, you know, Bill, with your perfectly, you know, crafted armor. You don't have to worry about all of a sudden we're going to add a new dungeon and your wonderful armor is now useless. You know, it's going to come from the crafters. And yes, of course, you know, we're going to have uh, a soft cap uh, because you want to keep giving crafters the ability to make better and better things. Because uh, eventually, like everyone else, they get bored too. So, you know, you do need new new challenges. But you can do it in a, a much more refined and subtle way than simply, hey, thanks for this, and you got it perfect, and now it's crap the next day. You know, you don't have to be so um, abrupt. And you can do things with a crafter-based system to recover materials or allow it to be enchanted more so you don't feel like you wasted all this time. And no matter what, by getting it through the crafter, as opposed to getting it by raiding a dungeon ten times or a hundred times, you also don't feel as bad because it's like, oh, okay, so they raised the cap and now, you know, this thing can be enchanted a little bit more. Or, oh, look, you can use this new material on it to make it the blade a little sharper. Because you won't have to go and do that mind-numbing raid and raid and raid and raid every single time to get something new, you don't feel as badly about it. And I think a lot of the issues that expansions have had at times with players, including Mythic, of course, is that, you know, like you, you spent so much time getting it. And, you know, in other games, in order now to get beyond it, to get the better gear, you have to go back to that mind-numbing grind. You know, because I think most people, especially after they played one of these games for a while, any of that stuff gets grindy. You won't have to do that. What are you going to do? You're going to go out and beat up other players. You know, you're going to find ways to do things, hopefully, that you're still enjoying. And, you know, that's the difference between RVR and PVE rating. It's different. You can't predict exactly what's going to happen, you know, all the time. Whereas when you raid a dungeon, it's like, okay, we go left, we go right, we go left, we go right. Okay, this is what this guy does for damage. Okay, stand back here, you stand here. Oh, you remember last night when we did this? Now you've got to move over there and blah, blah, blah. And that gets old real fast. You know, especially now, 10 years post-WoW, for example. Almost 10 years. And in our game, that won't happen. And so the crafter is happy, the player is happy, and, you know, they start caring more. And if all this happens, you get that kind of realm pride that people still talk about in games like Camelot or, frankly, all the way back to Air Warrior, where you get some of us old guys who played the game still talking about the night that Gunny did this, you know, or somebody else did that, um, because it meant something to you. And that's what we're trying to do, you know, with this game, bring back those kind of memories, those kind of feelings, and make people really, really care. All right. Well, I have kept you and everybody else here for an hour and a half, I think, or an hour and 45 minutes even. Uh, I think yeah. that's, as, that's as long as I can reasonably keep anybody. <laughs> um, I've got a pregnant wife in the other room I should probably take care of. So um, with that, um, unless anybody else has anything they'd like to say, um, I would just like to, to really, truly thank uh, Mark Jacobs, our guest tonight, uh, for coming on. Uh, everybody be advised, you know, the the... 
the, the Camelot Unchained Kickstarter um, should be coming sometime in March. Um, I will definitely be backing it. It will be my my second MMO backed on Kickstarter. Um, well, thank you, Bill. What after uh, Star Citizen. Oh, good Chris choice. Roberts. Um, yeah, good choice. Yes, that, look, that looks really interesting. Yes, um, it's been a long time since there's been a really really good space combat game, and then you know he's mixing the the MMO with the single player, and I hope he can pull it off, but. Um, you know, we'll see, but well, yeah. Well, I think you can count on our guild too, uh, because I know there's uh, quite a few of us that are very interested in the game. So you got our support. Oh, Roxanne, thank you, you know, so much for that. And, you know, to the guys, obviously from the guild who, you know, will be listening to this, um, you know, thanks for all of you who played Camelot in the past and, you know, Back us if you like what you see. You know, if you like the game, I'll be happy to have you, you know, as supporters. But, you know, be sure you like the game because that is the game we're going to make. And, you know, I, I hope we make our Kickstarter. Uh, certainly the guys here are excited about it. But what matters most is that, you know, we are backed by people who know what they're getting into. So read my blogs, you know, read what I'm saying about the game. Uh, and then if you like it, I would absolutely be thrilled to have, uh, you know, any of you, all of you as supporters. So thank you. Well, I just wanted to add my thanks to, uh, Bill's thanks and for, uh, Mark for you spending this, this amount of time and, uh, telling us all about yourself. And, uh, I, I feel like we got kind of a, uh, inside view on some of this, uh, some of the stuff that we might not normally hear about or, or get an explanation on. We were able to ask you some questions and, uh, good luck with the with the Kickstarter campaign and with the new project, and we'll, we're certainly going to be watching to see how it progresses. Great, thank thank you very much, guys. All right, um, that's all for tonight. Um, we'll see you next time on the New Outriders podcast. <laughs>